الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين الحمد لله على ما جرت به المقادير الحمد لله أولا وآخرا الحمد لله في الأولى وفي الآخرة وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله لا معبود بحق سواه أمر أن لا تعبدوا إلا إياه ذلك الدين القيم ولكن أكثر الناس لا يعلمون وأشهد أن سيدنا وحبيبنا ونبينا محمد صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم عبده ورسوله وما كان الله ليعذبهم وأنت فيهم وما كان الله معذبهم وهم يستغفرون لقد جاءكم رسول من أنفسكم عزيز عليه ما عنتم حريص عليكم بالمؤمنين رؤوف رحيم فإن تولوا فقل حسبي الله لا إله إلا هو عليه توكلت وهو رب العرش العظيم من يطع الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا مضل له ومن يعصي الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا هادي له اللهم اجعلنا من الذين يستمعون القول فيتبعون أحسنه أما بعد Dear committed Muslims, brothers and sisters أيها المؤمنون this week, we all are observant, I hope, of our Prophet's birth. May Allah's peace and blessings be upon him and his. I want to, as humanly as possible, touch on some issues that have the potential of murking our psychology, having us feel uneasy because of what is happening with us, what is happening to us, and what is happening around us. This ayah, وَمَا كَانَ اللَّهُ مُعَذِّبَهُمْ وَأَنْتَ فِيهِمْ Allah, it is not Allah who is going to 
cause them to suffer as long as you are among them. That's the general translation or the general meaning of this ayah. وَمَا كَانَ اللَّهُ لِيُعَذِّبَهُمْ وَأَنْتَ فِيهِمْ There's another way of understanding this ayah that is not obviously contradictory to the first understanding. The first understanding is Allah is not going to inflict these people around the Prophet as long as he is with them, among them. Okay, that's understandable. Allah did not cause Mecca any type of natural catastrophe that he caused other peoples that opposed their prophets. Prophet Hud, Prophet Lut, Prophet Musa, etc. When people opposed, when rulers, when power structures opposed these prophets, then those societies collapsed. That didn't happen in Mecca. وَمَا كَانَ اللَّهُ لِيُعَذِّبَهُمْ وَأَنْتَ فِيهِمْ Another understanding of, or another translation, another addition of understanding is, and it is not Allah who is who is going to cause them to suffer as long as you are in them. وَمَا كَانُوا اللَّهُ لِيُعَذِّبَهُمْ وَأَنْتَ فِيهِمْ As long as you are in them. What can we understand by the Prophet being in us? It means that he is in our hearts and he is in our minds. He is in our emotions and he is in our thoughts. So when he is in us, then Allah is not going to cause us the painful destinies that befell other societies and other peoples who were against their own prophets. وَمَا كَانَ اللَّهُ لِيُعَذِّبَهُمْ وَأَنْتَ فِيهِمْ وَمَا كَانَ اللَّهُ مُعَذِّبَهُمْ وَهُمْ يَسْتَغْفِرُونَ And Allah is not going to take them to a destiny of affliction and infliction as long as they ask Allah for forgiveness. See these two things? Our relationship with our Prophet and our relationship with Allah. And in this week of the Prophet's birthday, and let me make a note here saying that you know, some Muslims say the Prophet was born on the 12th of Rabi'ah al-Awwal. Others say that he was born on the 17th of Rabi'ah al-Awwal. Okay, that's fine. But can we proffer a statement of unity and say he was born during this week? That will bring all the Muslims together instead of emphasizing the day. 
like some Muslims do. So it is our social psychology of being with Allah by asking Him for forgiveness and the Prophet being in us by remembering Him and almost feeling Him. وَمَا كَانَ اللَّهُ لِيُعَذِّبَهُمْ وَأَنْتَ فِيهِمْ وَمَا كَانَ اللَّهُ مُعَذِّبَهُمْ وَهُمْ يَسْتَغْفِرُونَ Let us take a look at ourselves, not necessarily our immediate selves, but our historical selves, our social selves, our collective selves. Let us take a look at ourselves. Have we not stagnated after the 8th Hijrah century? We find that we have become almost mummified. And once again, I have to say, I'm not speaking about us as individuals. I'm speaking about us as a civilization. We've become like zombies, a civilizational zombie. There's nothing wrong with taking a hard look at ourselves because that's the way we're going to regenerate and we are going to come back. That's the only way we can do it. In Allah, la yughayiru ma biqawmin Allah is not going to change our material, our worldly or our physical status until or unless we change our psychological and social being. That's how we're going to change. That's how it becomes possible. So, just as a few remarks. Today, the Muslims, this is the week we're supposed to, you know, be happy with our Prophet's birthday. And we try to be happy even when the pressure increases upon us, which is the fact of life now. The number of Muslims in this world, and as I mentioned, I don't know how many times before, statistics and surveys and polls that are done among Muslims are lacking. But we have some type of educational or a type of guesstimation of certain areas or certain qualities and one of them is literacy and illiteracy. Would you be surprised if I told you among the Muslims of the world, in the majority Muslim countries, 57 of them, we're supposed to be one, it's 57 countries, and even outside these 57 countries where Muslims live in more affluent and more modernistic type of societies, the number of illiterate Muslims is 30%. They can't read and they can't write. 
30% of the Muslims can't read. What are you going to do? How do you give and take with individuals? And, and we're not here trying to knock down or to misbehave towards individuals, men, women, of different professions, of different in different walks of life, who cannot read and write. That's almost like saying one out of three Muslims cannot read and write. How do we look at Allah's Prophet in our heart and in our mind, knowing that this is our condition today? In the past, let's go a little back into history. In the year 1888, that's like a hundred, that's like a century and a half ago almost. In the Ottoman Sultanate, in the Ottoman territories, 98% of the Muslims were illiterate. Now that's quite a movement forward. If, you, if today you say 30% of the Muslims are illiterate, comparing that to 98% who were illiterate a cent- around a century and a half ago, you'd see there's some movement forward. Getting rid of illiteracy is the first word in the Qur'an, iqra'a. That first word we made some progress on. Maybe we can feel if some of us put it in this context, maybe we can feel a little happy in this week of the Prophet's birth. In the year 1860, there was not one railroad track in the Ottoman Sultanate. As an example, I don't think there were any railroad tracks anywhere else. And if there there was, it's probably maybe built by India, uh, by uh, Britain in India somewhere, not for the purposes of advancing the condition of the population, but for the purposes of stealing the wealth of the Muslims. So we hope we are on a return course to Allah and His Prophet and not continuing to slide away from Allah and His Prophet. You think these things that are happening, the type of corruption that engulfs us? The type of corruption that has appeared on land and in sea is because of what we do with our own hands. It's not an act of nature, just didn't happen. We are we are involved in all of this. And remember Allah says, وَإِن تَتَوَلَّوْ يَسْتَبْدِلْ قَوْمًا غَيْرَكُمْ ثُمَّ لَا يَكُونُوا أَمْثَالَكُمْ If you turn your backs on Allah and His Prophet, then Allah will substitute you with another people and they will not behave like you. 
On this week of the Prophet's birth, I want to remind us of our own death. And I mean the physical death. When we die, we're all approaching it. No one knows. In the future sometime, we're all going to go on. And there are near-death experiences. People who actually got into some type of accident in life and they could see their own selves outside of their own bodies. This is not something that, you know, belongs to fiction or fairy tale books. This is part of real life. People who had some type of impact on their physical body and they left that physical body. And some of them could recall. Some of these are Muslims, some of them are not Muslims. Doesn't matter. Some of them could recall in a flash of a second many details of their life. In a flash of a second they could remember volumes of details in their lives, in their life. Well, in their lives, if we're speaking about more than one. There is a saying that comes from Muslims when they were more involved with Allah and His Prophet. A saying, one of these sayings that obviously comes from a Sufi context. It says, a wise person is he who can leave his body before his death or her death. Well, let's not get involved in these types of uh, gender issues. When we say he, we mean he and she, just like the Quran. So a wise person is the person who can leave their body before they leave at the time of their death. And we know in life, many times when people die, they die, not everyone, but some individuals, when they die, they die with pain. Why can't we think of pain during our life as an ex experience of death or a pre-experience of death? It goes to one of the gaps that we have in our psychology and in our social psychology. And then we have some people entertaining the notion that when they die, 
there's going there's going to be a time period in which they are living in the grave that's how some people think there is what is called the the phase of the grave there's a phase that we in this life are aware of and we are aware of this because Allah conveys the, and his prophet convey this information to us we are aware that we were in a pre creation stage we are aware of that because Allah tells us We are also aware that we were in the womb of our mothers. We're aware of that. That's even if we didn't listen to Allah and His Prophet, just by observation, we know that there is some type of life before birth. And then we are born. Here we are. And then we die. After we die, there's that grave period. And then there is the trumpet sounds off once and then twice and it's Yawm Al-Qiyamah. But this, after we die, what is this? The person who dies is going to feel the time period that we used to feel when we were here in this life? No. It's not going to be like that. Because our sense of time comes from our consciousness. That's how we sense time. We have a consciousness, so we are aware of time. But what if we don't have a consciousness? Just like when you go to sleep. If you slept, when you wake up, do you know how long you slept? Do you know if you slept four hours, eight hours, 12 hours? When you wake up, ask yourself the moment you wake up, how long did I sleep? Do you know? You don't know because you were sleeping. There was no consciousness. The same thing applies here. When we die, there we don't have a consciousness. So we don't, as if when we die, we go to Yawm Al-Qiyamah. If we were to think about it in terms of this world, that's what we would say. In As- the, the, the narrative of Ashab al-Kahf, they slept for 300 plus years. We know that reading Surah al-Kahf. When they woke up, they looked at themselves and they said, how long were we sleeping here? must have been here for a day or so that's what they said to themselves and these are multiple people it's not one all of them agreed because why when they were in that state that they were in they didn't they they didn't have a consciousness the same thing on the day of resurrection yawm al-qiyamah 
كأنهم يوم يرونها لم يلبثوا إلا عشية أو ضحاها On that day when they see what they see they'll say as if we we, we spent their, their, right now they're describing their worldly life as if we spent one morning and one evening one evening and one morning that's all it was the world that we are in the lifespan that we have we look back at and we say as if it was one evening and one morning that's all it was in this limited time that we are in take these universal parameters that we are looking at and place within that this week of the prophet's birth and look at our behavior we the muslims look at the way we are behaving during the prophet's birth week sectarianism divides us not not simply a political division this is a a deep psychological division and don't tell me some muslims are exempt from sectarianism the disease is all over the place someone uh, as an example someone who's a shi'i becomes a sunni and then the sunnis who have a sectarian bent in them they rejoice what are you rejoicing about you're supposed to be a sunni and a shi'i at the same time you leave one to go to the other that's like saying i'm going to leave one hand and work with the other hand but that's that's the state of mind that we are in and then a couple of few years later Iran develops a missile and it launches with success and the same person who said he's become a Sunni right now returns to become a Shiite he wasn't re- he's supposed to become this or return to become that he's supposed to be both of them at the same time you ask him so why what happened he said, well, Iran developed a, and launched a missile successfully. I think, you know, they're on the right track, so I'm a Shi'i again. What is this? If you're looking at missiles and who's launching missiles and all, why don't you become a capitalist or become a Christian or become an atheist? Or All of these, they have advanced missiles, what, much more inv- advanced than any Muslims may have in their arsenal. So how, how do you look at these things? How do you judge the world? How do you think of our... How do we think of our own selves? I have some other things to say along, this li- along these lines. But I will withhold saying them for the time being. As there's other things to say in the following khutbah. And we began a little late. Maybe we can take a moment of affection and thought and address ourselves to our dear Prophet and say to him, O Prophet of Allah, some of your followers 
and we hope and we pray that Allah guides them some of your followers they acknowledge your companions and your friends but they don't think much about your family we ask Allah to guide them during this week and then you have O Prophet of Allah others of your followers who love your family who honor them but on the other hand they don't like your followers your companions your friends they think you as a prophet had no friend and no companion virtually so and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide them you had a family that we should all love and cherish and you had your companions and your friends that we should all honor and respect aqulu qawli hadha wa astaghfirullah li wa lakum ud'uhu subhana wa antum ala yaqin bil ijaba wa tubu ila allah inna allah tawwabun rahim الحمد لله بجميع المحامد على جميع النعم وصلى الله وسلم على المبعوث خيرا ورحمة وهدى لكافة الأمم محمد النبي الأمي وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم Dear committed brothers and dear committed sisters, wherever you are, here and elsewhere. In the khutbah today in Al-Masjid Al-Haram, the subject of the khutbah was a good subject, no doubt. And that subject had to do, the theme of the khutbah in Al-Masjid Al-Haram today had to do with the issue of asabiyyah, ta'assub which roughly is the fanaticism and the the community or social or nationalist or sectarian egos that we have we would say look who's speaking the people who are in control of the haram and in control of the speakers of the haram they've been fueling this sectarianism all along this asabiya of sectarianism and nationalism and tribalism and genderism and any other possible divisiveism there is and now they're coming to speak. Look, speak to yourself. Remedy your disease. One of the statements that he said 
the khatib this Jum'ah was Ash-Shurayn. One of the statements he said, which he should learn from his own words, as well as his superiors. He said, once the door of sectarianism is opened, it is impossible to close it. That's a true statement. Sometimes you have people who are misguided making true statements, just like the clock. When it stops, it's correct. Two times in 24 hours, they've opened this door of sectarianism, and now it's running wild all over the place. It's not only Sunni sectarianism, it's also Shi'i sectarianism. We're not talking here about a peculiar sectarianism. It's all over the place. This Saudi regime that controls the two harams in Mecca and in Medina has passed a law in which it said Anyone who has AIDS cannot be employed in their kingdom in any medical position or any military position. You'd think this would be a big news item with the promoters of the LGBT, etc. in the media among the liberals, the leftists, the atheists, the whatever they are, even some conservatives. But no, not Saudi Arabia. Don't touch Saudi Arabia. Even if Saudi Arabia is violating your own principles and your own beliefs. Anyone hear this? Any news item around? You had to dig deep in the press, in the media, to find this type of law that was passed in that hopefully collapsing kingdom. The the ex-head of the CIA, look, this comes from a person from the CIA speaking, no Islamic radical, says Saudi Arabia, this is an Petraeus, who had an interview on CNBC, one of these financial news TV stations. He said, Saudi Arabia is running out of money. Their reserve, he didn't say this, but, or he may have said something like this, but their reserve has dipped to below $500 billion. That's why they're auctioning off their Aramco. They're telling the world to come in and purchase shares, basically, in Aramco, the largest oil-producing outfit in the world. This Saudi regime 
has found in this past week five corrupt government officials who were accepting bribes, dealing under the table, doing all sorts of fiduciary violations. So they caught five of them. If they could go up the ladder and catch the ones that are on the top, that would be a day when Muslims will rejoice. But these are small fry, small fish. And they called them Fasidi. This past week, you know, Saudi Arabia now is promoting entertainment. They invite singers and dancers and all of these entertainers from everywhere in the world to come and entertain in that fragile kingdom. So they had one theatrical play in Riyadh this past week. And a person goes on stage and begins to stab the actors on stage. This is what happens. It's a kingdom that has ice and fire in it. It has the two extremes in it. And when they meet, these types of things are bound to happen. And it played out in front of everyone to see. The Saudi religious figures issued a fatwa this week encouraging those who have the wherewithal to buy into the shares of Aramco. They want their individual citizens now, they want to shake their bank accounts out of the excessive liquidity or assets or cash that they have and then a court in Saudi Arabia this week sentenced 38 they call them terrorists we don't know what their crimes were we don't know what they did they just said they went to court they came out of court and they slammed a 25 year sentence in prison against 38 individuals among 40 plus and some of them were non-Saudis of course they said that they could retry this whole thing but that's the way it stands right now the government in Kuwait in this past week has resigned no more cabinet that's part of the fallout that we in this week who are supposed to be observing our prophets birth who brought us together are watching how we are falling apart open your eyes O Muslims look at yourselves and look how we are falling apart Jordan received some promises from Saudi Arabia that the Saudis are going to invest $2 billion in the Jordanian economy and is going to offer 
plenty of jobs to Jordanians and Palestinians in this Neom, this industrial city that they are building as part of the 2030 vision of MBS, the city that's located on the territories of three nation states, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and Zionist Israel. The criminal prime minister of Israel, let us remind you, in the past few days there's been a miniature beginning of a war against Gaza, the people of Gaza. 1.8 million, close to 2 million Palestinian inhabitants who have been since the year 2007 subjected to all types of discrimination, oppression, boycotts, siege, you call it. They've been subjected to it. And so this criminal prime minister comes out and he says, this warming of relations with, excuse me, our attendance of the 2020, meaning in reference to next year, there's going to be an expo in the Gulf area and the Israelis are going to officially attend that expo. And they, he says, this war criminal who rules in Tel Aviv says that this proves that there is a warming up of relations between us, meaning the Zionist colonizers of Palestine, and these Arabian regimes. You would think in this year, of the, in this week of the birth of the prophet we'd hear maybe something that will honor the prophet but another news item that comes out of the united arab emirates says in abu dhabi that's the political capital of the uae they decided to name a street jack chirac what? Can someone give us an explanation, please? We thought uh, in this week you'd probably name the street Omar ibn al-Khattab or Ali ibn Abi Talib or something like that. Or if you have those streets already, some of their grandchildren or children. But no, Jacques Chirac. This is where we are, brothers and sisters. To our positive surprise, Al-Azhar in Egypt came out with a very strong statement this past week. And Alhamdulillah, we welcome a statement like that. We don't know how far it's going to go. But it came out very strong in support of the Palestinians, calling on all Arabs and Muslims and people of common sense in the world to support 
the Palestinians. Another probably positive development is the election by an overwhelming majority of Rashid al-Ghannoushi to become the head of parliament in Tunisia. In the past week, 83 prominent religious Islamic scholars called for the boycott of the United Arab Emirates because of its involvement in killing Muslims in Yemen and in Libya. During this past week, scores of Israeli colonizers, the mainstream media calls them Israeli settlers. Israeli colonizers, scores of them in the past week, broke into Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa. This is when the Israelis began in the same week, they began bombing and killing the last count was 34 killed in Gaza, hundreds if not more than a thousand injured in Gaza. At the same time, there is an investment, the United Arab Emirates, see how we go in different directions? The rulers in Muslim countries go in one direction and the people and the ulama are in another direction. There's an investment fund established this past week. The president of Egypt went to the United Arab Emirates, had some discussions there. The United Arab Emirates agreed to invest $20 billion in the Egyptian economy. In today's khutbah, Jumu'ah khutbah in Iraq, Ayatollah Sistani said, Iraq, after the current demonstrations, these demonstrations have been going on for weeks now, the Iraq after these demonstrations is not going to be the same Iraq that it was before these demonstrations. This is at a time when tens of thousands of Iraqis are converging upon Tahrir Square in Baghdad from all the regions and areas of Iraq. When we recall these types of details, you tell me, how do you feel when you're celebrating the Prophet's birthday? And ask yourself, if you go to a masjid, or an Islamic center or any lecture or presentation about the Prophet's birth this week how many of them are integrating the Prophet's love and the Prophet's ideas into their activities their programs and their strategies Allahumma arina al-haqqa 
وأرنا الباطل باطلا وارزقنا اجتنابه ولا تجعله ملتبسا علينا واجعلنا للمتقين إماما اللهم اهدنا في من هديت وعافنا في من عافيت وتولنا في من توليت وبارك لنا فيما أعطيت وقنا شر ما قضيت فإنك تقضي ولا يقضى عليك وإنه لا يذل من واليت ولا يعز من عاديت تباركت ربنا وتعاليت فلك الحمد على ما قضيت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك وصلى الله على محمد وآل محمد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر ومن أظلم ممن منع مساجد الله أن يذكر فيها اسمه وسعى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين لهم في الدنيا خزي ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعظكم لعلكم تذكرون ولذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون وأقم الصلاة